All right, you are listening to the 29 Steps Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason Ayton, and I'm here today with a very special guest, Michael McFall, who is the co-CEO of Big B. Michael, thank you for joining me. Uh, my pleasure, Jason. Now, I got to be honest with our listeners, this interview is fun for me because Big B happens to have a special spot in our heart. In fact, where we live, I, I counted just before this interview, I'm pretty sure that there were three Big B's within about a mile and a half of where we live before there was ever a Starbucks. And so that's saying something because here in Lansing, which is where I live, which is where roughly where Big B is located, I think it says a lot about the affection that this community has for your company. So this is kind of fun for me. Oh, great. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> now, obviously, um, you know, you lead a company which has a lot of franchises. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't know how many, so you can kind of tell us. And this has been a really interesting time, I'm imagining, for both Big B's home office company and your franchises. So just kind of talk us through like what the last six or seven months have been like navigating what seems like a very crazy period of time. You know, back when when COVID uh, uh, emerged, uh, there was there was two, three, four weeks of pretty pretty um, intense uh, worry and concern, of course. Um, and and I'm I'm just speaking about the business here. I'm I'm not talking about the health concerns and so on. And but but then uh, our governor here in Michigan deemed um, non-alcoholic beverage retail, uh, which essentially says coffee shops, uh, as essential uh, businesses. And so we were able to stay open. Um, I'll tell you, the franchise model came through uh, with flying colors on this test. Uh, this really dramatic test of our business model because we have local owners who are in their stores taking care of their employees, therefore taking care of their customers. And so we, uh, we came through this, this time um, and we're stronger and doing, doing you know, more revenue per unit than we've ever done in the history of our company. Uh, and so, you know, again, the, the, having the local owner in the store, uh, managing the business uh, was just, was really powerful. And I've got some beautiful examples of, of how that worked for us. Uh, but, you know, and the other thing that really worked for us was that we had a daily phone call every afternoon at 3.30 with our franchise owners. And that was seven days a week. And uh, when you have nearly 200 very experienced, uh, seasoned, sophisticated owners coming together in problem solving, <laughs> it's a really powerful force. And so, you know, we were able to put things in place and we were able to, to roll out ideas uh, quickly, efficiently, uh, that really helped us through uh, this moment in time, no doubt about it. Yeah. And I don't want to make light of it at all, but I think I'm going to speak for all of our listeners. I would agree that coffee is essential. <laughs> I just, I, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make light of it, but I, I, it just, that's a part of people's, life. And I do think that anything that can bring some sense of normalcy in an otherwise chaotic world is important, right? We need to have those sort of, and for a lot of people, like I work remotely for, I've, I've done that for a long time, but literally I used to spend at least one day a week at the Broadbent store here on, in Delta Township working, right? Because I'm a writer. So I would go and I would need a change of scenery and I would go and I'd work in that in that particular location. 
and it was a part of my routine. It was a part of my life. And, and I can't do that now. And I've had to adjust in some different ways. But I only mentioned that because it people are, especially people who work remotely, are like coffee shops are the office, <laughs> right? And so that just speaks to the level of importance that this has. It, it, you mentioned you had some stories. I'd love to hear one of the stories you just mentioned that you well, have about. Yeah. So, so well, first of all, you know, I, I do a lot of this kind of stuff, right? Interviews and podcasts. It's so cool to be talking to somebody that knows my hometown. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, and then, um, you know, I think that what the story that I, that I was most powerful for me was one of our owners uh, was worried about his staff and he went to Home Depot and designed and built a plexiglass barrier. Um, and, you know, the next day, who uh, was talking about it on our town hall meeting. And then that evening he sent out pictures of what he had built. And from that moment, uh, we had owners putting plexiglass in all of our stores. And this was weeks before anybody else was doing plexiglass. And so to me, that was just a really powerful. Uh, so, so he was concerned. He was personally concerned about the safety of his staff in the store so he went and solved that problem and then within 24 hours he made that announcement to our entire community and i don't have exact numbers but i would guess more than half of our stores had plexiglass within a day or a day or two because it was such a good idea and then two weeks later the entire world had plexiglass but but that speaks to the power of uh, you know we were doing plexiglass before anybody was even talking about it now let me ask for a minute because obviously in addition to having a few hundred franchise like locations where people can actually go and get coffee here in the Lansing area. You also have employees who work in your home office. And I'm, I'm just curious what that experience was like and how, how you had to make some changes to do the things that they have to do, but don't, they don't necessarily require being face to face with a customer. So there's a little bit of flexibility, but I'm kind of curious what that was like. Well, I mean, interestingly, we had been making a, a pretty significant move in this direction already. So, uh, would have been January of 2019, uh, we opened our office uh, after a remodel where there was no assigned seating. Uh, you didn't have a designated office. Uh, you were expected to you know, rotate seats, sit next to different people on a daily basis. And that was really a move in the direction of, if you can do that, you can work anywhere. And so, you know, our concept was, yeah, so could our, could our people go work in a store for an afternoon and be in a store? And, and, and you know, how that, to me, that would feel amazing, right? I mean, sometimes the, the, the staff in our world, they, they're not as connected to the coffee shop maybe as they should be, right? So, uh, or they could work from home or, you know, we, we've had multiple employees have a spouse move geographically and stay on with us because we don't want to lose them. Right. And so, so we were really, we were really um, walking down this path pretty aggressively already. And really COVID just, just um, accelerated that. And, you know, if, if I'm being honest, there, there was probably about a third of our company that wasn't enjoying the new office setup. Right. So, you know, it's not for everybody. And, you know, I think the way that we're looking at it is it's a very individualized situation. And as a leader manager, you can't take and put, um, it's not a one size fits all solution. And so different people need different things. And so what we've been doing is we've been having interviews with people 
talking about their needs. And, you know, some people are great. They're fine. They don't need anything. Other people, you know, it's really difficult for them because of, you know, this reason or that reason. And, uh, you know, the, the people that, that, you know, that I feel for the most are um, the uh, people that are trying to like school their children and work. And like, it's almost an impossible situation. Right. And so uh, I know we're, we've put together some, some quote support groups <laughs> uh, for employees to come together and talk about it. Uh, I, I know that's, in, that's informal. Right. But uh, you know, so, so I think that the thing that um, a lot of companies are trying to figure out what to do I think the first thing we have to do as leaders is we have to listen to each individual because each individual's needs are different. And then we need to do our best to take care of, uh, to take care of that individual. Uh, we have made budget available uh, for people to buy uh, desks and, you know, comfortable chairs and some, you know, techno technological needs uh, and so on. Um, pretty simple stuff like that. But uh, I think in the end, you know, I don't see us going backwards. I think we're going to stay. Uh, I think we're going to try to stay remote. Uh, we've we've done some hiring recently, and we've we hired somebody out of Indianapolis. Um, I know we just hired somebody out of Virginia. Uh, I think we're interviewing a gentleman from North Carolina uh, this week. So, uh, you know, all of a sudden, geography does is no longer an issue in terms of employment. Right, and it really opens up your ability to attract talent who otherwise would have to relocate to East Lansing, which is a great college town, but. It not for everybody. And if you live in North Carolina, maybe that's what you like. I was going to say, I, I can relate to the challenge that you mentioned that some of your team members, we have four children who are all being virtually schooled. And I'm sometimes thankful for iPads because I'll be honest that that might be the only way we get through some days. But I, I did want to ask, uh, and I've seen, I, I was fortunate enough sometime last year, I don't remember exactly when it was to tour your guys's office. Oh, you did. Uh, I did. I saw it. And I, but I can under, and it's very, very cool. I, and it was, it was, you know, there was a ton of different types of spaces for people to work in. There's, and I think that that's great, but I can also understand why that might not be for everybody because it, there's a difference between the types of personalities and, and people who are making phone calls to potential franchisees probably work better in a different environment than the person who does payroll. And I don't even know either of those people. I'm not, I'm just, that's just the reality. So, so for some people who are working from working from home, my question, it brings up. So for my listeners, Michael wrote a book, it's called grind. I read it. It's a great, it's a great read, not just for entrepreneurs. I actually have a copy of it right here. Uh, I, I wanted him to know I really did read it. <laughs> it's, it's got notes and everything, but you know, I was really interested because you talk about perfection and so full for context, I want to make sure it's clear. I actually agree with most of what you said that, that when I think you said something about that, the, when you let things go, it kind of becomes a moving target and it never moves in the better direction. That's not a quote. It, he says it much better than I do. Um, but one thing I'm curious about is that could be a scary thing for people who are right now trying to figure out a lot of things. Now, obviously in a store setting, it's different. I love the example of the bottles, wiping down the bottles. And, and I'll let you explain that because no one who hasn't read the book will have any idea. But if I'm working from home, my day-to-day -day experience, especially with four kids in the next room doing school became very different. So I'm wondering if, if 
if as leaders and as entrepreneurs, we might need to redefine what perfection actually means. Does that question make sense? There was probably three questions there. Yeah, I think, you know, what I would say is my, my statement in the book is, is you have to, to um, uh, be perfect in execution, patient with results. And, and, you know, I understand that perfection is impossible. We all do. Uh, but we need to strive for it. And that needs to be our expectation for, you know, what we are uh, uh, showing up to do day in and day out. And, and the story, this is the story, you know, we, we were being um, pursued by a private equity firm. And this is years ago. And the, uh, the managing partner of the firm came to have a meeting in our offices. And we have a, we have a full-blown store in our office. And the store was being cleaned. The training center was being cleaned while we were having our meeting. And we left, uh, we left that meeting very little indication whether they were interested or not interested in, in pursuing an investment in our company. And all of a sudden they became just like rabid dogs trying to make this investment. And so the, yeah, I wasn't working with the managing partner day in and day out. I was working with another guy. And so at some point I just said to him, I said, what, what, ha like you guys are <laughs> all of a sudden you're really interested in it. He goes, Mike, it's, it's, it's one of the coolest stories I've, I've had in my, uh, my history working for this firm. So when we were sitting in there having our meeting, uh, the managing partner watched your employee wipe down every syrup pump. Uh, and there's like 30 syrup pumps. He, he watched her wipe down every single pump for every single syrup. He said there was nobody watching. He said, it's not a commercial space. We're not selling coffee to the, to the, uh, to the consumer. And he said, any company that has that level of detail built into their system that an employee would take that much care without anybody watching her, he said, that's the kind of company I want to invest in. And so, you know, what that taught me was you think of like private equity funds or venture funds or the, you know, that there's these, all these sophisticated models out there and you know, how they make decisions and so on. And what that taught me was like, this guy was a very, very successful manager of, 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 a, of multiple private equity funds. And he made the decision on investing in our company by watching one of our employees wipe down syrup bottles. <laughs> right. And you, you can't, you can't uh, overstate the importance of the, of paying attention to the details. And so, you know, it's, I think at times it can get in our way though, you know, I mean, it's a real balance, uh, but, but in terms of engaging with the consumer, in terms of executing your business model, you have to go after perfection. You always have to be pursuing perfection. We'll never get there, right? And, and of course, standards are, are different all the time, right? Uh, depending on what's happening. Like if we're understaffed uh, in a certain area of the company, well, of course our expectations go down in relation to what perfection means or, you know, so it's, it's not like you're irrational about your expectation and perfection, but it's really about trying to get better and better all the time, trying to always get better, trying to be perfect. Now, so, and I, I think that that's really helpful. If I am a small business owner and I'm not necessarily running a coffee shop, but if I'm a small business owner and we were having this conversation and I was trying to figure out how to help my employees have that same kind of a mindset, given the current circumstance, what would your advice be to me in terms of one, how do I establish what those, what perfection looks like? And then two, how do I measure it? Because you talked about, you know, being patient 
with the results. So what would you say to somebody who's in that situation in terms of the current environment? Well, I, I still think we have to systematize everything. And so, so everything has to be a system. And then your job as the manager is to enforce that system, enforce what's, and you can, you can never uh, not enforce a standard because as the owner, if you don't enforce the standard, you're basically saying that standard and oh, by the way, all these other standards don't really matter, right? And so, you know, we all know that it's like behavioral, uh, behavioral management 101, right? But, mm -hmm. you know, and it's exhausting. And, and that's part of the part of the struggle as a as an entrepreneur is, you know, it's exhausting to show up every day, you feel like you're saying the same things over and over and over and over. But in the end, they get ingrained. And I'll tell you, one of the most magical moments is when one employee holds another employee accountable using the vernacular that you've trained them in, right? In relation to some system. And it's like, you, it, that's when it's getting root, rooted in the culture. And, that, and that's when I think you begin to know that it's working. Yeah. And I think I heard, I don't know, remember who it was, somebody way smarter than me. One time I heard say, no one will ever care about the thing you're passionate more than you will. So no one will ever care about your business more than you. So if, if, if you establish all of the policies and procedures and it looks like you don't care, then why would I care? Right? Like you, if you don't seem to care and ultimately the, the character and the values and the culture of a team will always reflect the leader. So even if my team is not in front of me all the time, you know, there are ways that you, it sounds like what you're saying is there are ways that you can establish those things. And then the enforcement might look different than when they're sitting three decks over or, you know, next to you at the, at the coffee bar, but that yet that still has to be the, the goal ultimately. And I'm curious how you, um, you, I want to transition into sort of this creating a culture of love in the workplace and helping people to create a life that they love. Just talk to me a little bit about what you're doing now and how, how that's what that is. Well, you know, when, when we are referencing love in the workplace, we're, we're referencing love that, you know, the HR department would fully endorse. <laughs> yeah. Good disclaimer. Go yeah. And, uh, and it's the kind of love like my dad kicking me in the pants every single day from the time for six years from the time I was 13 until I was 19. And, you know, I didn't like it and I didn't like him a lot of days. And I don't think he liked me a lot of days, right? <laughs> but he was supremely invested in supporting me in developing a life that I love and having the ability to explore the world and figure out what it meant for me to build a life that I loved. And that's the kind of love we're talking about, right? And so I'll never forget, I was uh, uh, probably 13 years old and I played hockey and it was a Saturday and, and my dad had said, hey, you got to get the leaves raked before you can play hockey on Saturday afternoon. And so I, uh, of course, put it off until Saturday and I woke up Saturday morning. There's four inches of snow on the front yard. And, you know, my dad said, well, and next thing you know, I'm out there with a shovel, shoveling off the front yard, getting the snow off first so I could rake it. Right. Uh, and, and, and to me, those are lessons that we as managers, as leaders, those are the kinds of lessons that we should be bringing to our people day in and day out. And there is really no better place to, you know, the, the workplace is like a Petri dish for self-improvement, for development, for self, you know, and, and so we should treat it like that. We're all together. Uh, we have a common purpose. I mean, we're working on some common project. We hope it's worthy and we're all vested in each other's success. 
And so it's like the perfect place to do that kind of work. And, you know, we, what we're trying to do is we're trying to free people up from the mentality in our organization that when we say supporting them and building a life that they love, we're not talking about making them better employees, better at accounts payable. We're talking truly about them considering and pursuing their passions. And we know, we completely understand that in that consideration, they might decide to leave the company and they might decide to go do something else. And for most managers of businesses, that's complete heresy, right? Like how could you possibly not be concerned about people leaving your organization? Like we all struggle with getting people into our organizations. Well, what I'm here to tell you is, is if you build a culture of love where you're supporting people and pursuing their passions and building lives they love, you will never, ever have a problem hiring people. And then when you do support somebody in leaving your organization to go pursue their passion, the, the, the inverse of that is that if somebody goes through that same work, that same process, and ends up settling on the fact that Big B Coffee is a place that they can pursue their passions and build a life that they love, that's going to be a superhuman employee because they love being there. They love showing up. They're showing up for a very, very specific, powerful reason. And so not only are, does it you know, make it so that you are hiring, your ability to hire people, but the people that are left that don't leave are just like the most powerful employees you could ever imagine. And so, you know, that's, that's our work, right? <clears throat> and it really comes down to, you know, our, our purpose is to support you in building a life that you love. If you have any connection with Big B Coffee, our purpose is to support you in building a life that you love. Now, our vision is to improve workplace culture in the United States. And that's our worthy project. That's our something special. That's, that's what we show up to work to do every single day, right? And to me, there's no more worthy cause than that. And, and I'm just going to, I'll just walk down the linear thought process here. So if you look at what the leading killer in the United States is, it's chronic disease. And it's by like a factor of 10. It's the, the most, uh, the, you know, the most brutal killer in, in our country. The number one fact, it's proven that the number one factor contributing to chronic disease is stress. The leading contributor to stress is workplace. Number one, uh, personal finance is number two, right? So if, if we can improve workplace culture, if we can make work a place you go where you're supported, uh, where you're pursuing your passions, where you have a community of people that are invested in your future with you, if we can make the workplace a nurturing environment that when you go home at night, you feel great, you feel powerful. You feel like you did some did things that day that were investing in your future and so on and so forth. Well, <clears throat> what kind of mom or dad are you going to be showing up at the dinner table or putting your kids to bed, right? You're going to be a more powerful mom. You're going to be a more powerful uh, uh, spouse. You're going to be more supportive. And, and the other piece of this is that how do people deal with stress? They self-medicate. <laughs> mm -hmm. right. So if we can reduce the stress for you coming out of the workplace and going home, if we can reduce that for you, then we hope we can reduce some of the behaviors out there that aren't very healthy either. So, so 
that that's what we're up to right that's that's the project and uh to me that's a loving supportive culture and we've got some pretty cool and if i'm going on for too too long just you're good keep going Uh, so we've got some really cool things that we're doing internally within our organization uh, to support um this and you know one of which is we have individualized coaching so you as an employee, you, you get a coach and you have monthly meetings and you talk through your, you know, your, your pursuit of a life you love. And this person that's coaching you is not your manager. In fact, there's a, there's a wall up between that person and your manager, right? Uh, but this person is fully vested in supporting you and pursuing your passions and building a life that you love, right? So, so and, and I don't know of any other company out there that makes that available, full-time. I mean, these, we have, I think we have four full-time coaches, right? Yeah. In, in our world, uh, doing that day in and day out. Uh, another, another initiative is we have a curriculum we've developed and it's called, it's the life you love laboratories and there's four classes and each class is designed to designed to help eat, to help the individual build a foundation on which they can pursue their passions and build a life that they love. And so we, we basically identified that there's four areas that, that you really need to make sure are shored up before you can really have an opportunity to build a life that you love. And so uh, we, we have those classes available. Uh, we're, we're starting another one. I think next week there's another series starting. Uh, I think, you know, we've got 20, 27 people signed up or 28 people signed up in those classes. And, and so, you know, that's a, a major investment that we're making and, and we're, we're hoping to take that to the outside world at some point. Uh, right now it's internal, uh, but we're going to be, uh, we think, you know, we're going to be trying to take that to the outside world. And then, you know, um, there's, there's other things we have going on. We have forums, uh, which are essentially support groups, <laughs> right? That you come together and you, you, you talk more, you talk a lot about stuff that isn't related to work, right? It's just life. Uh, they're, they're, they're basically support groups for life. And, and being able to facilitate that uh, has been, those have been really powerful for people as well. Because, you know, where do you go in the world? You know, like, like most of our relationships, our personal relationships and stuff, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> but these groups, I mean, they're, they're confidential. Uh, you show up, you talk about your stuff and everything, you know, and, and, and you become very, very close to those people. I think we have seven or eight of those forums with maybe six to nine people perform right now. Uh, and so we're, we're really getting some momentum. I think we're starting two or three uh, this spring, two or three more. So they've been real popular. Yeah. And I, th- I think that you, you brought up a couple of things that I, I just wanted to touch on briefly because I th- my co-host Jess and I have had this conversation several times on this podcast in a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to interview Andy Puttycomb, who is the co-founder of Headspace. The, you know, and the only reason I bring it up is he. We were talking about burnout, and the bottom line of that conversation was, there's a lot of ways that you can try to give your people the space so that they can go home and be a better parent. But the point is, you have to be intentional about it. It doesn't just happen on accident. Nobody gets unburnt out on accident, right? You don't just walk down the hall trip and be like, ah, I'm fine now. You have to be intentional and, and the things that you described really are a very, int- some of the most intentional that I've heard. My my last question, I guess, for you is for, for someone who's listening and you talked about at some point, these things might be open to the outside. Where can they find out more aside from the book, which I highly recommend? I, I've read it. 
this Mike Michael didn't know I was going to say this. He probably didn't even know I had the book when we when we sat down to talk. And I can also say uh, um, uh, that I, I know because they're located here in town, people who work for Big B and what Michael's saying right now is is evidenced and supported by the conversations I've had with people who I know. So so this is the real deal. So for people who are interested, where can they find out more? Where they, where can they follow you? Where where can they get more information? Well, what I what I would say is, you know, first let's connect uh, and and um, probably LinkedIn is is the best place to connect. Okay. And then I mean we aren't prepared to take I just I just asked this question this week uh, to my team I said you know as I'm out in the world and I'm I'm, I'm being interviewed and I, and I have the opportunity to talk to people where do I send them if they're interested in learning more right and so we didn't really have a, a place but we are going to create a um, a landing page for people to sign up so that when we do have stuff available to the outside world that they can be notified Right. And that's okay. really what, we're, and then, but, but I'll be doing, you know, as we start to take stuff uh, uh, to the public, I'll be, I'll be doing posts on LinkedIn and I'm sure Facebook and all that stuff. So, so I would say that's, that's probably, and then uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, go to bigby.com forward slash life lab. And we'll add a link to that in the show, in the show notes so that people, when you do add the link, let me, let me just make sure that that's the right link. <laughs> we'll, we'll check and we'll add the right link. I promise. <laughs> let's, let's make sure it's the right link. I, I'm pretty sure it's, it's forward slash life lab. And, and uh, you know, and um, you know, I, I, I love engagement too. <clears throat> you know, I put my cell number in the book here and that's been a really fun experience and you know it, it's it, yeah it's amazing you don't get it i don't get a ton of phone calls you know but but the ones i do i'll tell you it's it's it inspires me more than it inspires the person calling me i, I guarantee it and so you know i love to engage and uh and so i would say you know linkedin send me a note um if you're interested i will therefore put you on a list somewhere uh and then we'll reach out to you um via linkedin when we get the um when we get the stuff put together to go public Great. And I'll definitely make sure that we include the link to your LinkedIn page in the, in the show notes. Cause I do know, and, and you're pretty active on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll be honest. It's a great way to just get more of these insights on, on an ongoing basis. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say too, I've got something coming out. I got, I got good news today that we're almost done with it. it. I'm putting out the grind score and I think it'll be interesting uh, for, you know, for people uh, to take a look at, but it's 24 questions. And in the end you get a score and in the score is you're likely to be, to be a successful entrepreneur. And, you know, it's, it's meant to be somewhat tongue in cheek. Like, I don't really think I can predict whether you're, you're going to be successful or not, but my intention is, is really just to start a conversation around the kinds of things you need to be focused on if you want to be an entrepreneur. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm hoping that's going to be up and live in the next 30 days or so. Uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Great. And if you happen to live in Michigan, stop by a Big B Coffee and support the baristas. And Michael, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate your time. We'll make sure that we add those links so that people can find you. It'll be well worth their time. Thank you. Uh, Jason, thanks. You've been great. This was wonderful.